0: Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark.
1: Katana the Assassin, An Unnecessary Lex Coda, Owlman Has a Plan, Adam Strange the Hero, Heather's Flashback, and Two Tales of Nuclear Armageddon. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, March 28th, 2021. I'm Mark.
2: And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review.
1: You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614 321 That's 614-321-9SFP. The Other History of the DC Universe, book three from DC Black Label, by Ridley, Coley, Cucci, and Villarubia. The diversity-led miniseries continues, this time with Katana. Ridley makes a major change to the character, which has up to this point been very mystical. Her dead husband's soul was in her sword, and she spoke to him often. This is all stripped away in order to move away from the mysterious Asian stereotype. Her husband, Maseo had a jealous brother, Takeo, who wanted her, so Takeo proceeded to chop off Maseo's head, then burned down their home with her children inside. She took revenge by cutting off Takeo's hand, then his extremities, then hacked up his body. Japanese society in the 80s was all about wealth, and since she was considered cursed by bringing suffering to her husband and family, she could not get a job. She lived on the streets, until she came upon two Yuzuka members beating up a man. Takeo was also Yuzuka, and she hated them, so she took their souls, meaning, I hacked at them until the steel of my blade had torn and chopped and vivisected their bodies. I suppose some soul leaked out of the mess that was left."
2: The man she saved, Tadashi, hires her as an assassin. She's given a list of names and travels the world taking them out. Tadashi created a legend that her sword was the mystical soul taker and that she was a martial arts master. Neither was true. When people saw her talking to her blade, she was just talking to herself to distract her from all the death. Eventually, she crossed paths with the man who had sold soul taker to Takeo, so she killed him. He happened to be selling arms to Baron Bedlam in Markovia, which brought her to Batman's attention. She goes on for some time—the other history stories are all narration from the main character— about Bruce, noting that while he has a no-kill code, he's fine with maiming people. She also suspects that there are bodies all over Gotham, but the power structure there hushed them up. Bruce brought together Misfits as a team who could do things outside the rules, a.k.a. the Outsiders. Katana joined Brian Markov, a.k.a. Geoforce, Rex Mason, a.k.a. Metamorpho, Jefferson Pierce, a.k.a. Black Lightning, and the mysterious Gabriel Doe, a.k.a. Halo. Batman tells them they can do much good in America, and she figures, Why not? I've done about as much bad as I could across Asia.
1: As in the other issues, real-life racial concerns are tied into the narrative. There is a long history of anti-Asian racism, and still is, unfortunately. And in the 80s, Japanese were considered the economic enemy of the U.S. One page goes over the case of Vincent Chin, a Chinese-American murdered by two drunk white men for taking their jobs, thinking he was Japanese. Of course, the white men were eventually given probation by a judge who spent time in a Japanese POW camp in World War II. Batman arranges for Katana to be Halo's guardian. Halo was actually an alien force in the body of a murdered woman and was very naive. The arrangement works out very well for both, for a while. Meanwhile, the outsiders go public and Katana notes how colonial the arrangement is with a white man in charge. The group became a family over time, each with their mental baggage. We follow the Outsiders' timeline from the 80s, the Fourth of July, GeoForce's sister Terra, raped by Deathstroke, then killed in battle, learning that Gabby's host had been a criminal. Batman eventually returned to the Justice League. He had created the Outsiders to do what the League could not, but the team continued on for a time before breaking up.
2: Back to the history lesson, with the Japanese internment camps of World War II, the South Central riots against Korean businesses. Actually, these real-life portions seem almost tacked on rather than absorbed into the main story. Katana joins a new Outsiders, Superman is killed, Halo sets up the rest of the team, Katana is attacked by Lady Shiva and loses her blade, then nearly dies in a second fight. Somehow, Katana survives, being skewered through the abdomen comic book logic to join yet another outsider group. Katana creates a list of her own and eventually tracks down to Dashi and kills him at this point. Her characters seemed to drift, appearing at various crises, joining the suicide squad then the birds of prey, but she always seemed to return to the outsiders. It seems that removing the mystical element of the character really hurts her, becoming more of a drifter with no clear mission. This was the weakest of an otherwise great series so far.
1: Future State: Superman vs. Imperious Lex Number 3 by Russell, Pugh, and Fajardo Jr. In a surprise third issue, since they basically wrapped it up in two, Clark and Lois convinced the United Planets to let them return to Lexor in order to help the inhabitants there since their economy has now collapsed, thanks to Superman. If they don't survive, the UP promises to put up a plaque. On the way, they discuss whether Superman could just go there at night when the Red Sun was out. He can't, which negates logic about him hiding on Lexor's moon earlier in the story. Huh. Meanwhile, Lex is trying to shift the blame from himself. Again, Superman is ultimately responsible for all of this. And decides to throw his robot valet X-99 under the bus. We get a whole sequence of the media convincing the people that a reduction in income is actually an increase. You just have to compare it to a time when there was no money at all. He also goes over Plato's cave, with the moral being that we don't leave the cave, we go there and watch TV for our reality. On Lexor's moon, X-99 reactivates the Reticulants, assuming they will go back to their original mission, looting other worlds for Lexor's gain, and getting him released from his sentence. Instead, they look for the nearest planet to loot, which is Lexor. Now the media needs to play down this invasion. Well, I haven't been murdered, have you? The people see that the invaders have LexCorp stickers on them, and the jig is up. Lois breaks into Lex news and tells the populace what is going on. Lex winds up in a cell, along with X-99, who still worships him. A cute story, but it really does seem tacked on.
2: Hmm... Crime Syndicate number 2 of 6 by Schmidt, McCowan, Hitch, Vines, Olaf, and Sinclair. On the way to Metropolis, the Owlmobile is attacked by Staros, forcing him to retreat to Gotham. Meanwhile, President Queen and Superwoman fight the Starrow attack before Ultraman appears, and he's on the wrong side. Superwoman takes him out. Back in Gotham, Thomas investigates a captured Starro to look for weaknesses. He realizes that they didn't attack Gotham, as there are no powered heroes there. And there's mentions of other heroes. There's also a reference to Thomas culling the heroes. In the past, there's a number of editor's notes referencing Earth-3 comic events. Back to the battle, where Johnny Quick has come in to help fight Superwoman, and it's looking bleak. Suddenly, Power Ring arrives to even the scales, but the Starros consider the GLs their sworn enemies and concentrate their attack on him. Power Ring's ring starts talking to him. It's Owlman who hacked into the lantern. Owlman then arrives saying, I'm the man with the plan.
1: We get a backup story about Owlman, starting with the death of his parents and his brother Bruce. This is Thomas Wayne Jr. He becomes a nocturnal predator using the owl as a symbol. He finally tracks down his family's murder, Harvey Bullock, who tells him that his parents were evil as well, having killed Boss Gordon's son first. This was retribution. Thomas realizes that nothing matters, dropping his coat against killing and letting Bullock fall to his death.
2: Strange Adventures number 9 of 12 from DC Black Label by King, Gerards, and Shaner. Well, we now know that Adam's daughter is dead since we see him at her gravesite. The JLA's report on Strange has come out, and although it's incomplete, they wanted to get it out during the current war, it looks very bad for Adam. There's no legal component that will be for the government to decide. Adam is banned from League membership, like that was ever going to happen, Back to the war on Ran, Adam breaks into the Picts' stronghold and sets off deadly chemical weapon, forcing the Picts to flee right into the Hellotet. They are quickly wiped out. Back to the war on Earth, where Adam runs into Batman during the fight. Bruce tells Adam he shouldn't be there, then is saved by Adam. Alana does a media blitz, framing the whole thing as what happens in the fog of war. Adam did what he needed to do as a hero. After Phoenix, after whatever the next horror they do... Do you want to fight fairly? The media buy it hook, line, and sinker. Back to the war on Earth. Adam runs into Superman. I asked you for help. I begged you. Clark tells him to go home, and Adam reminds him he is home. He's a man of two worlds. Cut to Adam and Alana in bed, remembering their daughter. We'll see her again. There is another world. Is this metaphorical or not?
1: The Dreaming, Waking Hours Number 9 from DC Black Label by Wilson, Robles, Perker, and Lopez. The main part of the story is fairly predictable. Heather and Ruin manage to remember their mission and get away from the fairy's influence. Jophiel is found by Oberon, and after an attack, they, in disguise, make their way into the kingdom. The interesting part is a flashback where we finally learn more about Heather after. She's a tween sitting at the bed of her great-grandmother about to kick the bucket. She's told that their family's name is Cursed. Remember, her great-grandfather was the one who had trapped Dream, kicking off the events of the original Sandman series. This is when she creates her new name. Great-grandma tells Heather that she has magic from both sides of the family and that she is destined to resurrect the craft. I came to tell you I'm not going to be part of your plan. I'm not a new beginning. I'm the end. She'll also figure out how to get the family's amulet despite her great-grandma's wishes.
2: We finish up with two tales of nuclear disaster. Nuclear Family number 2 from Aftershock by Phillips and Shastine. Troops are searching through the family's home, the only one still standing, and find coffee, something that they haven't seen since they were kids. Tim, the dad, keeps demanding answers about what has happened, and they keep replying, Quiet, commie! Finally, an officer arrives and removes his mask. It's Dan, his old co-worker at the used car lot. At first, Dan assumes it's a trick. The family are put on a truck driving through the rubble of what was once Milwaukee. They are taken into a massive bunker where the survivors now live. The governor of the sector meets them, saying that he believes their story and wants to get to the bottom of it all. The governor explains that the western U.S. was wiped out and the refugees, those that didn't die of radiation, made it to various Midwest and eastern sectors where they now live underground. Tim asks what the year is. The reply is 1968, 10 years later.
1: Geiger, number one from Image by Johns, Frank, and Anderson. The team that brought us Doomsday Clock take us first to a nuclear wasteland. Troops sit around a campfire telling tales of the Meltdown Man, a legendary figure. It starts in 2030 when the news is cut off by an emergency broadcast. Fortunately, Tariq Geiger is ready and takes his family into the shelter. He runs back to grab his son's dog, and neighbors arrive to take his shelter by force. Tariq tells his family to shut the door and that he will handle it. The bombs go off. Twenty years later, troops find a bunker with massive piles of garbage as walls. A mysterious man warns them to leave, then begins to glow, and they run. He returns to his bunker with a two-headed wolf, eating a can of beans with a massive ticked-off wall, indicating how long he has been there. He goes to the original bunker, vowing not to open the door until it's safe. Cut to a young prince in the simulacrum of the Middle Ages, who decides he will begin a quest to stop the glowing man despite his guard's warnings. Turns out he's in Las Vegas, still running, in the Camelot Resort. We get a lovely layout of Vegas, Apparently now a set of fiefdoms. I did not see that coming. <laughs> Announcer bot,
0: how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614 321 That's 614 3219 sfp Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.